Before we get into the sermon, I also have an announcement, and that is, uh, hopefully you picked up uh, uh, our guide, uh, Fasting and Prayer Guide. That's this week. We've been talking about it for uh, a couple of weeks, and uh, I hope that you have uh, come to the place of uh, kind of preparing yourself or your family for this. Uh, we've given you uh, some different areas of focus each day to pray for, in addition to whatever else uh, you're praying for, uh, and then some scripture to read. Uh, one of the areas of focus I wanted to, to highlight, which is on Friday, we're praying uh, for, it says, Maple Ridge Church Plant. And uh, this is something we've been uh, talking about for a little while. Uh, as a leadership team, we feel uh, increasingly uh, a sense of God's leading that this is the next steps for us as a ministry. Uh, but to clarify, we don't have any of the details yet. Uh, we don't know the who, the when, the where, any of that. Uh, that's why we're asking the church to pray. Uh, because uh, while we see the need and the opportunity, uh, we want to do this uh, in God's way and uh, according to his wisdom. And so we're just asking that people would pray, that we would be able to discern uh, all, all of those things, all of those details. So if you're wondering about that, that's, that's the framing for that. Uh, on the back, there are some ways to fast, just some suggestions, uh, if you haven't yet kind of settled on that. Uh, but we're really hoping that this will be a fruitful week. Uh, and we are also inviting you uh, next Sunday. We have our next potluck and prayer. And so we're hoping that that will be kind of the culmination, that we'll come together, uh, we'll feast together, we'll eat whatever we bring to eat, and uh, we'll pray together again. And so uh, hopefully that's uh, on your calendar already. Uh, let me pray for us, and then we'll dive in. Uh, Lord God, we are thankful. Thankful for uh, the fact that we have a message of hope. Thankful for the fact that as we come together, we can hear that message of hope. We can know your love for us. We can know the plans that you have for us. Uh, Lord, I pray that you would indeed uh, reveal yourself more fully this week. I pray for everyone here who's decided to participate in some way of fasting, Lord. Uh, may we, uh, as we abstain from whatever good things we're not going to do, eating, uh, drinking, media, whatever it is, uh, God, I pray that we actually would be fully and more fully satisfied that we would spiritually be fed, and Lord, that we would recognize uh, and uh, see more clearly the fact that the things of this world, they, they do not really satisfy. You satisfy us. And so we want more of you, and we do want your leading. God, we pray you would move in a powerful way for the things that we're praying for in our own hearts uh, so that your, your mission and your purposes would be accomplished uh, in our lives and in our community. And uh, I pray for us now. Lord, may we have ears to hear what you have to say. In Jesus' name, amen. So this morning we are uh, in Luke 22, starting in verse 47. Uh, this is, uh, we're, we're working our way towards the cross. We're going to get there around Easter time uh, through these chapters in the Gospel of Luke. Uh, today you could say that uh, is the start of things going uh, badly for Jesus. Uh, that's because it's really kind of the official start. It's just his arrest or they come to arrest him. And so when things begin to, depending on your point of view, spiral downhill, you could say... And so I thought as a way into this, uh, I would uh, quote to you uh, part of a sermon from Martin Luther King Jr. This is a quote that kind of stuck in my brain. Uh, Martin Luther King uh, published a book of his sermons in 1963 uh, called Strength to Love. Uh, it's all about different aspects of, of godly love. Chapter 5 is about loving your enemies. And so he goes through what it looks like, how to do it, and, and most importantly, the why. Why should we love our enemies? And so this is the quote that uh, jumped out. Uh, he says this, uh, Returning hate for hate multiplies hate, adding deeper darkness to a night already devoid of stars. Darkness cannot drive out darkness, only light can do that. Hate cannot drive out hate, only love can do that. 
Hate multiplies hate, violence multiplies violence, and toughness multiplies toughness in a descending spiral of destruction. Man's gifted, was gifted, was he not? To bring truth, especially at that time, but, but even for us today, uh, to, to recognize the reality of darkness, certainly, and what happens when we give into it. And the reason that I read that is because uh, this tension that he's, that he's speaking about here, this darkness and light, uh, the conflict within the world and within our own hearts is one that we see in our passage. We're going to see our passage, a night of great darkness for Jesus. In fact, he calls it as such, the hour and the power of darkness. But we don't just see the darkness in this passage. We also see his light. And we notice, we should take note of the fact that the darkness that is present here is no match for the sovereign light of Jesus. So with that as kind of setting us up, let me read it and then, uh, and then we'll unpack it. This is just after Jesus finished praying and then rebuking his disciples for not praying. Uh, verse 47, while he was still speaking, there came a crowd and the man called Judas, one of the 12 was leading them. He drew near to Jesus to kiss him. But Jesus said to him, Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? And when those who were around him saw what would follow, they said, Lord, shall we strike with the sword? And one of them struck the servant of the high priest and cut off his right ear. But Jesus said, no more of this. And he touched his ear and healed him. Then Jesus said to the chief priests and officers of the temple and elders who had come out against him, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you day after day in the temple, you did not lay your hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. So three points for us this morning, all having to do with, with darkness and light. Here's the first one. The power of darkness threatens to overcome us all. Uh, I think we really see the weight of this passage right at the end, right? Where Jesus kind of basically says what's going on. Verse uh, 53, right? I was with you day after day. You did not lay your hands on me, but this is your hour and the power of darkness. What is he speaking about? What does he mean, the, the power of darkness? Uh, well, he means the spiritual darkness present in the world. He means the moral darkness. He means the, the violence, the oppression that is about to take place. Uh, we see this reference to darkness and light throughout, throughout the New Testament in particular. Uh, Paul writes about this in, in a similarly kind of grand way. Uh, uh, here's what Ephes he says in Ephesians. I think it, it illustrates what is going on here. Ephesians 6.12 for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. He's speaking there about Satan and his demons. He's speaking about the, the spiritual forces that are at work in the world, but also that are at work in our own hearts. And we see them on full display here in this scene. I think actually if you look at kind of each character, you can see some aspect of this darkness that Jesus is speaking about. Begin with Judas, clearly. Uh, he is at this point totally uh, overcome by Satan. We're, we're told this as much uh, in verse 3 of Luke 22. We saw this a few weeks ago uh, where it says, Then Satan entered into Judas called Iscariot, who was of the number of the twelve. He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers how he might betray him to them. 
So uh, Tim walked us through what, what happened there, right? Judas had already been giving himself over to sin, already been opening himself up to the, to the powers of darkness that were slowly gaining a foothold and then greater influence to the point when it says literally Satan entered him, which means that now he's going to accomplish his purposes to go against God through Judas. And that's where the whole plot, all the, the whole conspiracy began. And what we see here is a picture of the the extent to which a human being can become morally corrupt, evil, and dark. Because it's not just that Judas betrayed Jesus. I mean, that in of its is bad enough. But the way he did it, I mean, he, Jesus points it out. Would you betray the Son of Man with a kiss? A kiss, uh, like it is today, is an expression of love, of intimacy. Uh, but back then, this was a common greeting also, right? Guys would hello, good to see you, and give each other a big kiss. It was normal. It was just the way that you would express a sense of genuine friendship. And so here, what you have is, is someone who was friends with Jesus, walked with Jesus for three years, and now is at the point where he would, he would use this as, as a way to, to betray Jesus. Think of, the, think of the depth of evil. Think of what's gone on in Judas's heart. That he wouldn't just stand off in the distance, right, and point, ah, that's the guy over there, but he would come up right close to Jesus, put his arms around him, kiss him, and, and betray him into the hands of the enemy. It's a terrifying thing to see this kind of darkness. But it's not just in Judas. We actually see it in the disciples as well. I think what we see in their response uh, is, is a mind and a heart clouded to a certain extent, not the same extent as Judas, but to a certain extent by the darkness of the world. And I say that because uh, look, look at how they responded, right? They saw what was going to happen. Uh, this is verse, whatever, 49. They saw what was going to follow. They knew Jesus was going to be arrested. And then they, they ask a question, Lord, should we strike with the sword? Remember, there's that part of the sword. Maybe this is what Jesus was talking about. They don't wait for an answer, right? Of course, Peter just grabs the sword, starts hacking away. Clearly the wrong thing to do. Jesus rebukes them right away. But the question is, why did they think that this was the right course of action? Uh, it's even more clear that this is like totally um, contrary to all that Jesus has been uh, telling them and leading them in. Here's, here's Matthew's version. Uh, Jesus, his rebuke is more detailed. Uh, Matthew 26, 52. Then Jesus said to him, to Peter, put your sword back into its place. For all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? See the contrast. Jesus is saying, look, this isn't an issue of, of physical power, of just like military might. If that was the issue, I got legions of angels. Right? That's, that's the point, Peter. This is not the way of God. This is not the way of the, of the kingdom. We are here with greater weapons to accomplish greater purposes. The fact that the disciples thought this was the right thing shows the extent to which they, they really were not clear. Even though they'd been with Jesus, even though they'd heard, he told them what's going to happen, they couldn't grasp it. And I think it's because there was, a, you might say, the darkness of human wisdom that was presiding still over their minds and hearts. And, uh, and I can't resist. I, here's one more quote from Martin Luther King because he articulates just how foolish and ultimately ineffectual, and, and, and the problems of this will come if you go down that road. So he says it this way. He's speaking about loving your enemies. Uh, so when Jesus says, love your enemies, 
he's setting forth a profound and ultimately inescapable admonition. Have we not come to such an impasse in the modern world that we must love our enemies or else? The chain reaction of evil, hate begetting hate, wars producing more wars, must be broken or we shall be plunged into the dark abyss of annihilation. This is what's going on here, right? The disciples in their, in their human wisdom are saying, let's, let's attack, right? That's what human beings always think. If someone's oppressing us or pushing back against us, we're gonna fight back with all the strength that we have. And where does that lead? It leads to this dark abyss of annihilation. And Jesus is rebuking them. He's saying, that's not the way. There's no wisdom in that. There's no light in that, actually. You're only gonna make things worse. The disciples thought, right? This is the thing, thought that they were doing the right thing, totally dark, could not see it. And of course, another aspect of darkness is in the chief priests. Uh, Jesus highlights this when he speaks to them, verse 52. Uh, he he kind of calls them out, right? He says, uh, have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs? When I was with you uh, day after day in the temple, you did not lay your hands on me. He's, he's pointing out the fact that they're coming at night for a reason. He's like, this is shady, guys. This is not the way it should be done. In that culture, according to Jewish law, you should make this arrest in the day, in public, which is always a telltale sign, right? If, if there's some dark aspect to what we are doing, we are going to want to hide it. The extent to which we're willing for it to be revealed, open for everyone to see, is, means that it is genuinely of the light. The fact that they chose to do this in darkness was because they were agents of darkness. All of this, Right? Is, is sort of different facets of the darkness of humanity and the powers of darkness, the spiritual darkness that are at work in the world. And I think we should take note of these, this darkness because it really does threaten us as well. There, there are things that we can glean from this because the battle did not stop. Jesus had victory at the cross, but Satan and his demons are still at work. And there's still darkness that threatens to overwhelm us. So here's a couple of things I think that we should take note of. Um, we should note that human beings have real trouble seeing the darkness that threatens them. Like actually seeing the darkness that is at work in our own hearts. Uh, maybe that's conspiring to control us, to influence us. Like if you were to ask anyone in this scene if they thought that they were agents of darkness, I think everyone would be like, no, what do you, no. Soldiers, why are they there? They're, they're just doing their job, right? They're preserving the empire. They've got, it, they've got their following orders. Um, the disciples, clearly, they would say, no, we're, we're defending Jesus. He's the Messiah. Of course we're going to do that. They would feel fully justified. This is the right thing to do. The chief priests, they were doing the work of God. They were the, the priests of God. And this guy, this false teacher, whoever he was, he's going to wreck their faith. So we are, we are doing the thing that needs to be done. They would feel fully justified. I would argue even Judas, to some extent, would feel justified in his actions. Why? Because he saw what was going to happen. He knew where this was going. This Jesus, who was setting up this new kingdom, he, he saw the, the powers conspiring. He knew it was going to all fall apart, so why not, why not get a little something before it all goes to pot, right? Why wouldn't you go and do that? Try to get for yourself. He would, he would feel justified in going and making that deal for the 30 pieces of silver, we should think for a moment about the fact that human beings very rarely see the darkness accurately and, and, and very rarely see the darkness that is at work within us. Makes me think, look, 
I'm not sure if this is going to go well, but here's, here's, a, here's a comedy sketch that I saw that I think is really helpful, but you can tell me. It was a comedy sketch about these Nazi soldiers, right? It's, it's a British comedy sketch, so if that helps. Um, behind enemy lines, right? They're there, they're, they're working and uh, looking out of their binoculars. And one of the soldiers comes up to the other. I'm not going to do the accent. He comes up and he says, he says, hey, Fritz. He said, yeah. Um, listen, I've been thinking about our uniforms, and Fritz is like, what are you talking about? Well, I've just, I've been noticing, have you noticed the Allies' uniforms? They have like stars, they have stripes on their uniforms. He's like, yeah, whatever. He's like, we have skulls on our uniforms, Fritz. Uh, Fritz, do you think, uh, do you think maybe we're the bad guys in this? <laughs> Fritz is like, what are you talking about? That's, that's, that's kind of how we are, right? We never think that we're the bad guys. Even if we've got skulls and crossbones, even if we're doing these horrible things, there's this amazing capacity of human beings to ignore the fact that we are fully corrupt and we're doing corrupt things. We, we feel justified. Every villain in every movie, there's some aspect of justification. He thinks he's doing the right thing for him. This should make us very wor worried, very nervous, a little less certain about that we actually know the right way to go. The fact that, that Judas could do this. The fact that the disciples could do this. The fact that priests of God could do this. These are all people who thought they were following the light. We should be asking ourselves, I wonder what darkness there is that I'm not aware of in my life. Some, some influence that I can't see. The other thing I think that we need to see here is that it's very often the case in this world that darkness seems to be winning. And I think this is important for us to see because we, we struggle so much with, with the darkness that feels oppressive, that feels a lot of the times like it's never going to lift. And I think it'd be fair to say that's exactly what uh, the disciples would have felt like in this moment. I mean, Jesus is about to be arrested and, and we know the sequence of what's going to happen. He'll be tortured, he'll be mocked, he'll be, he'll be put to death. It's no wonder that the disciples fled, that, that Peter was denying Jesus there because they, they were so afraid that the darkness, that this was going to be the end. And because it really looked like it was the end. I mean, it, when someone's being put to death, when someone's in Roman chains, I mean, you don't, you don't get out of that. And, and that's very often how we think. When we look at our world, do we not look at certain things and think, well, I mean, how are we ever coming back from that? When you look at some of the laws that are passed, when you look at some of the shifts, morally speaking, in, in our communities, in our culture, we just think, well, how is this? I mean, all hope is lost. So it's really important as people of God that we can look in even these dark times and answer the question, what hope is there? Is there any hope? Because beyond the, the circumstantial darkness of our world, we also know a darkness that exists in our lives. Where we're in prayer and we don't, we don't hear any response. We've been asking, we've been asking God, you know, to, to alleviate the pain, to, to bring resolve, to bring help, to bring hope, whatever it is, and there's, there's nothing there, and, and we come to this point of asking, what, what hope is there? I mean, we, look, it's the Easter story, and praise God, we're on the other side of the cross, so we know there is an answer. We know that evil doesn't win. We know that he actually goes to the cross and then is resurrected, the disciples don't know this, but we know in just three days, they're going to be standing in front of a tomb with the stone rolled open, with an angel sitting on it, brilliant, gleaming light, proclaiming he is risen, and all the hope will be so clear. But, 
But while that is fantastic in the moment, we also know that there are days after that, like maybe today, when that light seems very, very dim and the darkness seems very, very thick. And we're wondering, but what about today? Like, that's great. I know when I die, I'll be in heaven, praise God. But like for today, how do I, what is the hope for today? This passage shows us that even during the hour of darkness, Jesus is still in control, that Jesus is still at work, that Jesus is taking the steps to ultimately prevail. And this is what we need to see, that, that Jesus shines even in the darkness. So that, that's our second point. Jesus still shines in the darkness. And I think what we need to realize is that there's sometimes when the light of Christ is harder to see, but it, it does shine as brightly when we can see it. So let's, let's look, I want to look in detail. For example, um, in his interaction with Judas, let me ask this question. Why, do, why does Jesus respond the way that he does? Like Judas comes, why does he ask that question? Judas, would you betray the son of man with a kiss? Now, if that was us, probably that would be a very, like a biting rebuke. Like Judas, come on. After all we've been through, this is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to betray me. There'd be anger. There'd be a sense of, of, of indignant, I can't believe what you're doing. But if we know Jesus, we know that's not the tone that he's going to have. I think his tone here is one of appeal. Like Judas. Oh, Judas, would you go this far, Judas? Would you, would, would, you betray this, would you betray me, the one, you know me, Judas. You love me. Would you allow yourself to descend to this depths? Why would he be asking it that way? Because he still loves Judas. Because he wants to shine his light on the, the depth of this darkness so that Judas's conscience would be provoked. So that it would be a moment, there's a hope here that Judas would see the, the vileness of what he's doing because Jesus knows what we don't know. He knows we can't see the darkness for what it is. That's the whole reason he sent his spirit to lead us into truth, to convict us. Why? Because we can't see it. And so the grace and mercy of God is that there's times when we're in the midst of darkness we've been doing for years and yet finally there's a light that goes on. We see it for what it is and we're, we're gripped. To, we, we repent, we confess. We can't believe what we've done. That's, I think that's what Jesus wants here. And so the light that is being shown is, is one of grace and one of love. In his question, he wants for Judas to, to feel the weight of it so that he can, be, he can be saved, he can be redeemed. I think there's also light in the way that he responds to the disciples. Uh, it's interesting, right? Because he's much sharper with the disciples. Right? The disciples are trying to defend him. He yells at them, right? No more of this, like, cut it out. Right? It's a sharp rebuke, Why? Because Jesus wants to preserve the light of the plan of God. Like we just talked about, right? He knows swords is not going to do it. That's not going to accomplish what God, what God wants. And you see the importance of this uh, when Jesus is standing before Pilate, right? So in just a little bit, he's going to go and stand before Pilate, the Roman governor. He's going to be asking him questions. Are you a king? Like what's, what's going on? And look at how Jesus uh, is, is able to respond. Uh, John 18, 36, Jesus answered, my kingdom is not of this world. If my kingdom were of this world, my servants would have been fighting that I may not be delivered over to the Jews, but my kingdom is not from the world. It's a really important distinction that would have been hard for Jesus to make if his disciples were stabbing everyone, right? Would there be a lack of integrity there? 
So Jesus, recognizing the, what they're going to wreck everything, he rebukes them. He heals the, the servant's ear so that he can say now to Pilate, which, which is true. Look, this isn't the kind of the kingdom you're thinking of. That's not my kingdom. I'm not, I'm not trying to stage a violent coup. Right? The world has enough of those kinds of kingdom. This is a kingdom of, of spiritual truth and goodness and light and forgiveness. So here we see in his rebuke of the disciples, he's protecting, preserving the light of the gospel, the light of the kingdom. And maybe the most wondrous way we see the light of Jesus here in this scene is in the way that he submits to evil so that he might defeat it. I mean, that's what happens at the end. Uh, he calls them out for the way that they're arresting him, right? Have you, have you come, this is verse 52, have you come with swords like I'm a robber, right? You, you're doing this in, in the darkness. This is, a, you know, this is an act of darkness. This isn't light. This isn't on the up and up. But notice he doesn't stop them. And he could have stopped them, just to be very clear. He could have stopped them. And this is, uh, John describes the scene and there's this moment that I think is helpful. John 18, four to seven. Um, then Jesus, knowing all that would happen to him, came forward, right? So same scene, said to them, whom do you seek? They answered him, Jesus of Nazareth. Jesus said to them, I am he. Judas who betrayed him was standing with them. When Jesus said to them, I am he, they drew back and, they f and fell to the ground. So just picture that for a moment, like a, a legion of Roman soldiers, uh, there's all the chief priests and there's like a hundred people. They're standing before him. Spears all marshaled up. I mean, there's a lot of spiritual might there. And when Jesus speaks, what happens to them? They all fall over. Th think of the power that is being revealed there and the power dynamic. The discrepancy is, is he is the power and they are the ones who are subject to it. And the great part of that scene is that then he asks them again, uh, who, whom do you seek? Right? You can imagine them picking themselves up and saying probably a little more hesitantly, uh, Jesus of Nazareth? Right? Like this, it's very clear that Jesus is in control and that he, as the one who has power, is letting them do this. Why? To accomplish the purposes of God. He could have just, like he said, I could bring down angels, could just wipe them out, incinerate everyone. That would not accomplish the greater good, the greater light. It would not actually defeat the darkness. I needed to submit to evil so that I could undo it. The truth of the matter is that this hour of darkness is in an even greater way um, the hour of Christ, the hour of God. In fact, this is what he's been waiting for. John 17, when he's praying, this is sort of before high priestly prayer, he prays this, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your son that the son may glorify you since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. What we need to understand is that in the hours of darkness, Jesus is still at work. Just because they are the hour of darkness, just because Jesus makes clear, look, this is when, when the greatest weight of evil is coming against me that, that does not discount or disarm his power. In fact, his power is greater because he uses all of, the, all of the plans and the plots of, of the devil, he uses it for his good purposes. This should help us to understand that, that even though there's a darkness that seeks to oppress us, seeks to, to prevail over us, we have a God who is more powerful, 
who is, who is wiser, who is stronger, who is willing to submit himself to that evil so that he would defeat evil forever for us. Uh, he says it this way in John 12. He says, I have come into the world as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So even though the light is harder to see, the same gospel light that exists throughout the Easter story is here in this passage. In fact, it's in every, it's in every word of scripture because it all reveals Christ himself. So, so now the question for us is how do, how do we apply this for us? What does it mean for us today? And so I'll say it this way, point number three. We can trust Jesus in our darkest hour. And we need to be honest about the fact that we do have hours of darkness. Sometimes not just hours of darkness. Sometimes days and weeks and months and years of darkness. There's a darkness that hangs over many of our lives that it's difficult to remember the hope of Christ in it. And maybe think of um, this, uh, there's a short book uh, by a man named Eli Wiesel. He was a German Jew uh, during uh, Nazi-occupied Germany. Um, he wrote an account of, of basically him, mostly him and his father. Uh, he was separated early on when they got taken into the camps from his mom and his sister, but he and his father were there together the whole time, moved from camp to camp, uh, just, you know, atrocity after atrocity, horrible degradation. If you've read any of those stories, you know the kind of things that he would have endured. But the interesting thing about his, uh, his kind of memoir, which is called Night, uh, won the Nobel Peace Prize, I think, in 86. But what he describes is not just a wasting away of his body, I mean, that's, that's a lot of the visceral reality of what, what went on. But he also describes, sadly, the wasting away of his faith. Uh, that as a Jew at that time, right, faith in, in God, there, there was, they as a community were, were faithful to this God, and yet as they endured all of this oppression, it became harder and harder to hope in him. And um, there's this one scene uh, he talks about when it was the time of Yom Kippur, which is normally when the, the Jewish community would fast, so I'm just going to read a little bit, and then I'll show you a little bit. He, he writes this. Uh, it was Yom Kippur, the Day of Atonement. Should we fast? The question was hotly debated. To fast could mean a more certain, more rapid death. In this place, we were always fasting. It was Yom Kippur year-round. <clears throat> but there were those who said we should fast, precisely because it was dangerous to do so. We needed to show God that even here, locked in hell, we were capable of singing his praises. But here's what he says. I did not fast. First of all, to please my father who had forbidden me to do so. And then there was no longer any reason for me to fast. I no longer accepted God's silence. As I swallowed my ration of soup, I turned that act into a symbol of rebellion or protest against him. And I nimbled on my crust of bread. Deep inside me, I felt a great void opening. Probably none of us have experienced that that kind of darkness. But I think, I think we understand what he's talking about. Because there are seasons of our life where the darkness, the oppression, the injustice, the hurt, the betrayal, whatever it is, it, it makes it so that our, our faith seems so brittle, seems so weak. Uh, it makes me think of, you know, those science projects where you take like a, a different little plants you do different things to them, and if you take one of them and put them in a closet and leave them in the dark for a week and you come back, 
you probably know what it looks like. It's, it's weak, it's limp, it's pale. There's no strength in it. Why? Because the darkness has sucked the life out of it. And I think for many of us, this is how we feel in our hour of darkness, in, in the time of darkness. That's why it's so important to see, to see Jesus here in his hour of darkness and how he responds. Notice, there is no weakness in him. That there is no uncertainty. There is no doubt. He, he is strong and vibrant. He is willingly submitting to all that is happening, not because he can't do anything else, but because this is exactly what he wants to have happen. What it means for us is that even in our times of darkness, even when the worst has happened, even when we've been enduring something for so long and we don't feel like we have any strength left, we can know that Jesus is with us in our darkness. That he, he knows darkness. He's comfortable in it. We can see that if Jesus was in control on this night of darkness for him, the night of his arrest, then he is in control in your hour of darkness as well. That, that he is still at work. That he is with us. That he is present. The events of the cross mean that there is dark, no darkness so dark that he cannot redeem, he cannot save, he cannot restore. Here's again some of the words of Christ. John 8, Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. The challenge, of course, is that there's times when we're walking with this light through darkness. And we simply have to come to, the, to terms with the fact that this is often the path that God has for us. And that our response can still be a response of faith. Why? Because we see the light of Christ. We see his strength. We see his power. And hopefully we feel the intimacy of his presence. How we should respond is a question of faith. Uh, Judas, we can see Jesus, I think, was hoping, was wanting him to respond, to respond to the light. He was exposing, right, the depth of his darkness. Really, Judas, you would do this, even this? He was wanting to provoke a sense of his conscience. Why? Because he wanted him to turn. He wanted him to go and to stew and to, to have him turn back and experience the grace. He could have experienced grace and forgiveness, but sadly, he did not. He, he felt, it's interesting with Judas, if you know the story, he felt a sense of wrongness. He realized what was happening, maybe he didn't think they'd actually kill him. He goes back to the Jewish leaders, gives them back their money, thinks he's absolving himself, and, and yet still he has this, this depth of despair, and he does not turn to God. Sadly, he runs, and he ends up hanging himself. There's no hope. But the other disciples, they, they did respond even though there was a, this was a night of real darkness for them. Peter, right, to, to betray Jesus. The other disciples just fled. They weren't even nearby. And yet, they came back. Why? Because they responded to the light. Because they saw the death of Christ, then the resurrection of Christ. And, and then, by the grace of God, the Holy Spirit came, and there was a power a power that transformed them from a people that, in the midst of darkness, fled to people that, in the midst of darkness, they pressed in. Every disciple went to their death speaking about the light of the gospel. This tells us that there was a transformation that happened from people who feared the darkness, right? Feared the, feared the threat, feared, feared the authorities, all these things that we saw on this night to, to a group of people, men and women who would step into areas of darkness so that the light could be shone. Paul writes about it this way. 
about Christians. He says, for at one time you were darkness. Look at the language. You were darkness, but now you are light in the Lord. So walk as children of light. For the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. See, this is the power that we need to understand. That we all, apart from God, we, we just, it wasn't just that we were influenced by darkness. It's not like the world says, right? That we were just blank slates and, you know, we had some bad experiences, some good experiences, and it kind of tugged us both ways. We, we were not blank slates. We were not neutral. We were not innocent. We were dark in our sin. There was no hope for us. We, we, we were completely subject to the powers of the world, to the to the influences of the devil, all of that. And yet Jesus, he redeemed us. He flipped us. He changed us from darkness to light. Which means now we have the capacity to withstand the darkness of the world and even in our own souls. The hope that we have in the darkness is that it's not just that Jesus controls the darkness out there, it's that he transformed the darkness in here. It makes me think of whether things would have been different for Eli Wiesel if he had known Jesus as the Messiah he'd been waiting for. And if he had known that the Messiah that came was one that went through darkness for him, that endured suffering, endured death to bring hope. Because when there's a time of darkness and night, it is a time to pray and it is a time to fast. I had some people talk to me about whether, you know, they're just in a really tough time and whether this week is, I don't know if I feel like I have the strength to fast. I don't know if now's the time. And my response was, now's the, now is the time. If we want the strength of God and the help of Christ in our weakness, now is the perfect time to lay ourselves before him and say, Jesus, I don't, I don't want to grab the strength of the world. I know it won't help me. I need you. I want more of you. Last thing I'll share <clears throat> just came to my mind, there have been times in our lives for Don and I when we've uh, experienced uh, like a real spiritual darkness uh, in, in ministry, ministry time in particular, uh, demonic manifestations, uh, dreams, that all, all things, especially for, for Don, very troubling, very difficult. And in those times, uh, we did pray. We, we did appeal to the elders of the church to come and, and pray for us. We wanted to be protected. We wanted help. We wanted relief. And by God's grace, much of that happened. But it's interesting, as we look back on those seasons, um, we see more clearly that it wasn't just the, like those kinds of things that were threatening us. There was also a darkness from within that was at work. And it was harder to see. But looking back, we can see the grace of God that in his kindness, he was slowly revealing areas of sin, uh, areas of stronghold, er sin that we didn't want to confess. We didn't want to see it for what it was, idolatry. And, and as that was um, revealed and exposed and confessed, uh, the light began to shine in a more powerful way in our lives. And, and so I, I think as we look to this passage where we see very clearly the powers of Satan are at work and we see very clearly they are seeking to, to war against all that God is doing and we see that Jesus is standing steadfast, his disciples are there in the middle. And there are many ways in which we would just say, look, they're, I mean, what can they do, right? Satan's at work against them, right? Peter, what can he do? But the answer is they, they, can, they know where to go and so do we. And that we shouldn't just discount our own internal spiritual life and think that there's nothing to do with the, the darkness that is present. We should lay ourselves to the Lord. God, help me to know myself. Help me to see the darkness, not just out there, but it's in here. Because I want to be free of it. I, I want to walk as a child of light.
I want to respond in the fullness of faith so that I might do what is right and so that I may experience your power and your grace and be fully satisfied in you. There is darkness. There will always be until heaven comes. But praise God, we have a light. A light that is within and a light that overcomes the darkness. Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, we, we praise you as the light of God. We praise you for the, the power that was revealed through your submission to evil, through your willingness to be nailed to a cross, though you were innocent. God, I, I, I thank you for the gospel story. I thank you that in, in each and every event, we see the, the love and the grace and the purpose uh, that you came to accomplish. And so, Lord, I pray for us today. I pray for those of us that are feeling that wrestle, feeling either an oppressive darkness in our lives, maybe it's some injustice that is being done to us, or maybe, maybe Lord, it's, it's a darkness that we can't get out of, that we're just um, constantly feel ourselves weak and, and we can't say no. And, and whatever it might be, God, would you reveal your power? Would you convict us of sin? Would you encourage us in times of attack? And Lord, may we respond by walking in the light, by confessing that which is false, by confessing that which is sin. I pray this week would be a week where we experience your presence as we fast, as we pray. Lord, may we see so clearly that you are the one who satisfies. You are the light of the world. We were darkness, but now we are light by your grace. Help us to walk in it and experience your presence more fully. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.